Our second lesson today comes from the gospel according to Luke. Many Christians around the world might be also reading this passage for it's the gospel lesson in the lectionary today. So listen for God's word. I'm reading the last verses of Luke 7 and the first few verses of Luke 8. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with Jesus began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with Jesus, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. There's an interesting story out of the Vatican. Apparently, the Pope um, met with his cardinals to discuss a proposal from Benjamin Netanyahu, the leader of Israel. Your Holiness, said one of his cardinals, Mr. Netanyahu wants to challenge you to a game of golf to show friendship and ecumenical spirit shared by the Jewish and Catholic faiths. The Pope agreed that this was a good idea, but he had never held a golf club in his hand. Do we have a cardinal to represent me, he asked. Well, none that plays very well, one Vatican insider said, but there is a man named Jack Nicholas. There's an American who is a devout Catholic. We can offer to make him a cardinal. 
And then we can ask him to play Mr. Netanyahu as your personal representative. And then in addition to showing our spirit of cooperation, we'll also win the match. So everyone agreed it was a good idea and the call was made. And of course, Jack Nicholas was honored and he agreed to play. And then the day after the match, Nicholas reported to the Vatican to inform the Pope of the results. And Nicholas said, I have some good news and some bad news, Your Holiness. Well, tell me the good news first, Cardinal Nicholas, said the Pope. Well, Your Holiness, I don't like to brag, but even though I've played some pretty terrific rounds of golf in my life, this was the best I've ever played by far. I must have been inspired from above. My drives were long and true. My irons were accurate and on point, and my putting was perfect. With all due respect, my play was miraculous. There's bad news, the Pope asked. Yes, I lost by three strokes to Rabbi Tiger Woods. So a longtime friend of mine and Presbyterian elder sent me that story this week, and it comes on the Sunday that uh, the U.S. Open is being played in Pennsylvania, and it comes on the Sunday of Father's Day, and it also comes on a summer Sunday when we're invited to think about how we relate to one another, how hospitable we are to each other. And we laugh at that story because we likely know a little bit more about competition than compassion. We laugh at that story because we know that often our hospitality is not at the level that it should be as disciples who follow Jesus, the most hospitable one. Among early Christians, Hospitality was a crucial and measurable aspect of Christian life. One New Testament word embodies a profound truth. The Greek word is xenos. X-E-N-O-S is how it transliterates into English. You might know that xenos means stranger. It also means guest. It also means host. No one is strange ever except in relation to someone else. And we make one another guests or hosts by how we treat them. You may also be picking up here that there's a common English word that uses the root xenos. It would be xenophobia, which means fear of the stranger, which is often associated with nationalism or often even extremism or intense attitudes that my group is better than your group. And this subject remains in the news in these days as we seek to find a way forward that is realistic and reasonable in regard to immigration and reform. Xenophobia, fear of the stranger, can quickly become our way. But turn the word around and make a slight change and you get another New Testament word, philoxenia, which means if you think about it a little bit, love of guest or love of the stranger. This is what God is always teaching us as God's people, philoxenia, love of the stranger. All through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament, the exhortation is not xenophobia. The exhortation is 
philoxenia, love of stranger or guest. And the point is, over and over made real life and real faith with God and in God leads to philoxenia, love of stranger, welcoming the guest. Any religion that's not rooted in hospitality is not rooted in God. God teaches and expects philoxenia. And our first lesson reminds us of the same, echoing many other passages that go all the way back to the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12, and all the stories of God's covenant. Leviticus reminds us, the alien who resides with you shall be with you as a citizen. You shall love the alien as you love yourself. For you were aliens in Egypt, I'm the Lord your God. It says in Leviticus, just as God watched over and cared for the people when they were refugees and aliens, so God insists that God's people are to live with love and gracious welcome, hospitality. Hospitality is meant to flow from us out of all of God's care. Hospitality is meant to flow from us out of gratitude of God's present help, and it's meant to embody God's purposes hospitality. Perhaps the story from the Gospel of Luke is familiar to you. Some form of this story is in all four of the Gospels. A woman, an alabaster jar, an ointment, an oil, and Jesus. In all the stories, there is debate about what is proper and what is not in regard to this woman and this oil and proximity to Jesus. But all the stories are slightly different, though similar, different. In Matthew and in John, the woman uses the oil to prepare Jesus for his upcoming death and burial. In Mark, the essence of the story relates to the line about how we will always have the poor with us. And this woman is performing an act of extreme generosity and compassion toward the Son of God, so that line gets remembered. But in Luke, our lesson today, as you heard, the story has lots more detail, and the message is about hospitality. The message is about genuine philoxenia. The setting is Simon's house. He's a Pharisee. It appears that Simon is following the exhortations of his faith about welcoming the stranger and providing for the alien as a friend. He has invited Jesus to come and be a guest in his house. It appears that all is going well and the guests are reclining and dining and enjoying fellowship and food. And then the crisis emerges with the entrance of the woman. She is, as it says, from the city. She's a sinner. She not only comes in, she sits at Jesus' feet. And she bathes Jesus' feet with oil and with her tears, and then she dries them with her hair. All of this irritates Simon. He's a righteous man. He doesn't know what to do about this sinful woman who is close to Jesus. Jesus is supposed to be a righteous man, but this scene doesn't look righteous with the woman of the city bathing Jesus' feet. So Simon presses the point. And Jesus uses a parable about creditors and debtors to stress the importance of hospitality, philoxenia. And here's the message. Simon may be hosting Jesus 
feeding him, but the real host is the woman. Simon may be offering a meal, but it is the woman who is demonstrating gracious care and hospitality to the guest. Simon may think he is living out the law. The woman is the one practicing philoxenia, love of stranger and guest. Simon may be the official righteous one in this story as a Pharisee, but the woman is the one, as it says, her faith saves her. See, faith is not about espousing certain doctrines, but receiving grace and receiving forgiveness and receiving life and then responding with lavish, gracious generosity. Perhaps more and more we find ourselves in situations of strangeness. You do. I do. The world is changing so fast. We live amid a growing complexity of races and languages and religions and socioeconomic status. Strangeness often breeds tension among us. Just recently, I was in the grocery store. A man wanted some help in the produce section. One of the produce workers was nearby, but he did not uh, speak the best English. So communication issues emerged, and before long, the man was yelling racist and derogatory comments at the produce worker who remained calm and humble, though fully humiliated. It was a sad moment for me, and perhaps it's all too common. Philoxenia doesn't come naturally for us. We are better at treating people as different and keeping them different. Hospitality and grace, however, are what transform life. This is what God reminds us over and over in the Scriptures and what Jesus emphasizes in our story today in Simon's house. Hospitality is the way of faith. A religion that is not rooted in hospitality is a religion not rooted in God. And we all have opportunities to embody philoxenia every day. We do. Kathleen Norris may be an author, a name that you know. She's written a number of books. All of them, in some way, relate to her profound experiences at monasteries, while we may think of monasteries as places of seclusion and, pr- and quiet, places of prayer and places of vigil, places of isolation and contemplation, Norris's experiences of monasteries, though they include all those elements, always include hospitality. In fact, St. Benedict, the great Christian writer from many centuries ago, writes that a monastery is never without guests. And if a monastery does not attract guests through its hospitality, it's not a monastery. Again, the way of life for Christian people, for monks, for those who love God, for all of us. The way of life for us is intended to be about loving others, welcoming guests, embracing the stranger, offering kindness, offering care, philoxenia, not xenophobia. Another great Christian writer 
Thomas Merton put it this way. Our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy of our love. That's not our business. What we're asked to do is love. And this love will render both ourselves and our neighbors worthy. If anything can, we're called to love. I have long remembered one of my graduate school professor's comments. It was many years ago now, but it still sticks with me. She said that there are basically two ways to approach life. Two ways. We can either approach life with a loving glance or a suspicious stare. I've reflected on this across the many years, and I think there's great validity in this statement. Many of us approach life like Simon. The Pharisee were suspicious and were challenging and were leading with a stare rather than a loving glance. And yet Jesus calls us and keeps calling us to move toward the posture and the approach of the woman in this story who is so open to grace and new life and so willing to sacrifice and so willing to share, so transformed that lavishness and generosity and love flow from her, even a woman of the city. Do you think you approach life with more of a loving glance or a suspicious stare? Sometimes we need pause. Sometimes we need caution. No doubt about it. But always we're called to offer grace and love, generosity and hospitality. I want to end with a story, and it goes like this. It was Munich during the Nazi occupation of Germany. These were frightening times, especially for Jews. A light snow was falling on the streets, and they were crowded with people. And an elderly woman named Susie was riding home from work on the bus when the SS stormtroopers suddenly stopped the bus and began examining the identification papers of everybody on the bus. Most of the passengers were annoyed and irritated, but few of them were terrified. Uh, The Jews were being taken off and put in a truck around the corner from the bus. Susie, a Jew, watched from the seat in the back of the bus as the Stormtroopers systematically made their way down the aisle of the bus, checking everybody's papers. She began to tremble, and tears began to form in her eyes and flow down her cheeks. The man next to her noticed that she was crying, and he politely and quietly asked her what was wrong. I don't have any papers. I'm a Jew. They're going to take me away. The man paused, and then he exploded with disgust. He began to curse and scream at the woman, You stupid woman, I cannot stand to be near you. The SS men asked him why he was yelling at this woman. Curse her, the man shouted angrily. My wife has forgotten her papers again. I'm fed up with her. She does it time and time again. The soldiers laughed, and then they moved on. And the bus got moving again. The man got off. Susie never saw him again. She never even knew his name. 
as Christians, we often find ourselves in moments when we're called to act, maybe even extending ourselves and taking risks, going way beyond what makes us comfortable. Hospitality, that's our way. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way to life. It's the way toward the reign of God in the world. Let's keep seeking through God's Spirit and God's grace poured upon us. Let's keep seeking to bending our life toward the way of love and hospitality and outreach to others. It's the way to life. It's the way to Jesus. It's the way of Jesus that leads to the reign of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief and shape us in the ways of Jesus. That is to be our way of life. Amen.